We are FBC Summit, leading everyday people to love Jesus and make Him known. Thank you so much for joining us today. Here's our pastor, Dr. Larry LeBlanc. Would you take your Bibles and join me in turning to 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verses 6 through 12. 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, we're going to continue our journey together in verses 6 through 12. We have been celebrating and singing this morning the advent of Christ, the incarnation of Christ, the first coming of Christ. And as we are studying through Thessalonians together, you have seen that one of the things that we have been looking at together is what will be the second coming of Christ, when Christ comes again to reign. So it is a wonderful time during the celebration of his first advent for us to look to the skies towards his second advent and to understand that. And so we're going to continue studying together our end times, our eschatology together. But as we're getting ready to do that this morning, um, I wonder if some of you are like me. Do you notice bumper stickers? I mean, do, you, do you pay attention to bumper stickers? It's amazing. Um, you can see all manners of things on people's bumper stickers. And I contend that you can tell a lot about someone by what bumper stickers they use. Wouldn't you agree with that? If somebody is going to take the time and the effort to get a sticker and to place it on their car, then you pretty well know that that is something that they either think is funny or something that's important to them, or it's a sports team that they're really behind. But if somebody uses bumper stickers, you can pretty well believe that that's something that is pretty core to who they are. And that's one of the reasons I can't figure some of them out. Some of them are obvious. You know, if you like a sports team, that's obvious. Obvious. You stick that on the back of your car. Sure, I am a supporter of such and such university or such and such ball team. That makes sense. But there are others that, that I've seen, and some of you, I'll go ahead and tell you. I don't want you to get offended on the front end because some of you have these bumper stickers, all right? So I'm just going to go ahead and place that out there so we can all prepare because I'm just trying to understand a, a few bumper stickers, such as the bumper sticker, have you seen the one, my other car is a blank. Most of the time it'll say, my other car is a Mercedes or my other car is a Porsche. And you're looking at this car and you're wondering, what exactly are you trying to communicate by that? Because as I'm looking at the car you're currently driving, I don't know that I believe that your other car is a Porsche. I just don't know that I'm buying that. My other car is whatever it may be. Um, one of my personal favorites is, and I'm positive there's somebody that has this one. Sometimes you don't see it as a bumper sticker. Sometimes people stick it to the window and it says baby on board that is just a weird thing to me to put on your car and here's why because maybe I just think weird but if you do have a baby on board do you want to advertise that to kidnappers and, and the other part I wonder about that is what is that supposed to make me do as a fellow driver on the road? Like when I see baby on board, do I immediately think, oh, well, I better be careful because I was planning to plow into you. But since you have a baby on board, I guess I'm going to try to drive a little more carefully than, than I have before. And, and, and probably one of my all-time favorites, and you've seen this one, it's everywhere, parent of a honor student, oh, genius, yeah, right, parent of an honor student. I all of you are parents of wonderfully bright children, but I've got to tell you, when it says parent of an honor student, I begin to watch very carefully inside the car. And the other day, I'm behind this car, it says parent of an honor student, and I thought to myself, huh, 
So I decide instead of get behind the car to pull up beside the car. And there is a child who I can only assume, I can only assume is the honor student. And he is licking the window <laughs> of the car. And I'm looking over there and I'm thinking, that is one fine honor student that you have. Uh, another one uh, that, that I, I mean, and, and I see this all the time. I don't really get it either. The, the stick people, the, the stick people that go in the back of the glass. Like if you've got a family of four, you put four stick people that, that are on the back of the car. And I don't know whether that is um, just to represent numbers. I don't know if that's a weight loss thing. I, I really don't know why we're using stick people on the back of the cars. But when I was younger, bumper stickers were a big deal. And there were fad bumper stickers that just, you know, everybody had to have this certain bumper sticker. And I can remember being in high school and there was this two word bumper sticker and everybody stuck it on the back of their cars and their trucks. And some of you may remember what it was because it was in jagged letters and it'd be set sideways and all over the place. It just said, no fear, no fear. And you saw that going everywhere. And, and so evidently we had a lot of people running around that weren't scared of anything. No fear. And, and, and that took off like a lightning bolt. Every now and then I still see one somewhere, stuck somewhere, no fear. And I can't help but wonder sometimes if somebody puts that on the back of the vehicle, is that really the case? Do you really have no fears? Do you really have no anxieties? Do you really have no insecurities? Because I'm betting if pressed, it doesn't matter how many stickers you put on the back pane of your glass, we can find that most people have some kind of fear deep inside their heart. And some people, if you really expose that, what you're going to find out is that they are truly afraid, deeply anxious about what the future holds. Now, what we've been studying together over the past months is that if you are a believer bought by the blood of Jesus Christ, if he is your sacrificial lamb and you have trusted him with your life and your soul, if you have repented of your sin and given your life to Christ, believing that he died and he rose on the third day, that you are saved, then you don't have to fear that. But whether or not you're saved or not, it does us all well to know what the end times events are going to look like. Because if we go into things with a misunderstanding, if we go into things not knowing, then there can be a nervousness and an insecurity that's brought about. One of the reasons that Paul writes about it and John writes about it is because as believers, we want to live this life with as much confidence as possible. We truly want to believe about the end times that we have no reason for fear. And if you'll remember a couple of weeks ago as we studied together the first five verses, this was a group of people who were scared. They were scared because they had forgotten the clear teaching that they were going to be raptured and they thought somehow that they had missed the rapture. So Paul began this discussion about the Antichrist and who he is and what people need to know about that so that they could know what to expect and keep believers from fearing the end times. Today, my prayer for you, my hope for you as I've prepared to preach this message to you is that when you walk out of this sanctuary today, you will walk out with your head held high because you have the humble recognition that you serve a sovereign, all-powerful God who is in control of both today, but he's in control of all our tomorrows. And when it comes to end times events that you would be able to say, I'm going to praise my risen Savior, the incarnate Christ and the soon incoming King because of who he is and because of how I know 
everything is going to work out for His glory. And so today, let's celebrate that by standing and reading God's Word. 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, we begin in verse 6 together. And now you know what is holding him back. Him, remember, is talking about the Antichrist. So that he may be revealed at the proper time. For the secret power of lawlessness is already at work, but the one who now holds it back will continue to do so till he is taken out of the way. And then the, lawlessness, the lawless one will be revealed, whom the Lord Jesus will overthrow with the breath of his mouth and destroy by the splendor of his coming. The coming of the lawless one will be in accordance with the work of Satan displayed in all kinds of counterfeit miracles and signs and wonders and in every sort of evil that deceives those who are perishing. They perish because they refuse to love the truth and so be saved. For this reason, God sends them a powerful delusion so that they will believe the lie and so that all will be condemned who have not believed the truth but have delighted in wickedness. Lord, teach us what to expect so that we may not fear what you have in store for those who love you. In Jesus' name, amen. Please be seated this morning. So knowing what to expect keeps believers from fearing the end time. So we're going to jump right in about what are we expecting? What do we expect? We covered a couple of weeks ago that it's just not good enough just to say, well, whatever happens, happens. I'm saved. It really doesn't matter. I can't understand this, so there's no use trying. It doesn't matter whether you're in the seventh grade or whether or not you are 70. We need to be a people who have an understanding of what the future holds when we've been directly told what we could expect. And it comes straight out of this passage that we would know what the future holds and what is coming. And the first thing is that we need to know what to expect regarding the Antichrist appearance. What to expect regarding the Antichrist appearance. Look at verses 6 through 8 with me. When Paul writes to the Thessalonian church, he says very clearly to them, and now you know what is holding him back so that he may be revealed at the proper time. That him is talking about the Antichrist. There is coming an Antichrist. We talked about a couple of weeks ago that the spirit of Antichrist, little case A, has been in existence since the very dawn of time. That we look back into time immemorial when Satan fell from heaven. And ever since then, there has been an Antichrist movement. But Paul is specifically talking about this capital A Antichrist, the Antichrist who is going to be revealed at the three and a half year period of the tribulation. There is coming a day, you will remember so we can recap. I want us all to be on the same page. Sometime in the future that God has not told us about, but that we are to expect at any moment, we know that the clouds will open and the trump will sound and the dead in Christ will rise to meet him in the air. And those of us that are still living are going to meet Jesus also. That event is called the rapture. Following the rapture, the Bible tells us that there is going to be a literal seven year period of tribulation, a horrible time upon the earth when God's judgments will be doled out. At the half point of that seven year time, which is three and a half years, there is going to be an unveiling of this capital A Antichrist and three and a half years of the worst hell on earth is going to ensue. And so Paul is writing to let them know that that is going to happen, but that that is only going to happen when it is allowed. When it says holding him back, there are a lot of different theologians who believe different things about what is holding back the Antichrist. Some people will say that it's the, the work of the church that's holding back the Antichrist. 
I would submit to you that in the context of this passage, it is absolutely unequivocally talking about the power of the Holy Spirit. Because only God can hold back the work of Satan. Only God is able to do that. So the point that Paul is making is, is that right now in this moment, the capital A Antichrist is being held back by the very power of God through the Holy Spirit and not being allowed to come. Because you see, if we understand what the Bible teaches us about that old liar, that deceiver Satan he has desired from the very beginning of time to unleash this antichrist in fact the whole goal of Satan is going to be to mimic or to make it look like that he is a savior and redeemer he wants it to look like Christ he is the antichrist and so if Satan had his druthers if Satan had his way the antichrist would have already been unleashed on, on all humanity but God has not allowed that and so the question for us remains what are we to expect regarding his appearance we need to understand that anytime we're talking about the end times there is a significant reason why you don't need to fear there is a significant reason why you don't need to fear and one of those is that none of this is happening outside of God's control none of this is happening outside of God's sovereignty when is the rapture going to take place look at me when is the rapture going to take place? Now, how many fools have predicted when that was going to happen? By the way, if you're under the teaching ministry of anybody that gives you a date and time, get up and run. Leave immediately. So when is the rapture going to take place? When God gets ready. It will only happen then. When will the Antichrist appear? When God gets ready. When God allows it. So all of these events are not triggered by Satan. They're not triggered by evil. They're not triggered by men. Everything that we are looking forward to into the future happening is completely under the divine and sovereign control of God. God's not going to look up one day and say, uh-oh, there's the Antichrist. I didn't know he was coming. The only reason he will even be released is because God is going to allow it. He won't be able to do anything until God allows it to happen. And it will not happen until God has redeemed all he has chosen. We have walked through the book of Romans together, Thessalonians together, Ephesians together, and there is no doubt that the electing work of God takes place in believers' lives. And I say that to say this. There are many that seem frustrated that Jesus has not already appeared. There are many seem frustrated the rapture hasn't already happened. Many, when they watch the news, ask the question, well, what is God waiting for? That we do know the answer to. I don't know how long he's going to wait, but I know why he's waiting, and so should you. He is waiting because he has an elect group of people that he's drawing unto himself and not one of those people will be lost. And I've thought about it so often when I've been frustrated with why it is that we are seeing so much of what's taking place in our day and God just seems to let it go on and on and on. And when is the end going to come? And then it comes to me and I'm overwhelmed with this thought. Oh, thank Jesus that it didn't happen before he saved me. 
And there's somebody that still needs the grace of God. And I don't know how many more there are. I don't know how many years or hundreds of years it will be till the electing, predestining grace of God works with the patience through the power of the Holy Spirit and God's grace to bring all who know him and love him unto himself. But I can tell you that the clouds will not open until that day, that the Antichrist will not be revealed until that day because evil cannot and will not over step God's boundaries. Now obviously this secret power of lawlessness that Paul writes about in these verses that we just read together in verse 7. This secret power of lawlessness is already at work. I don't have to spend a lot of time there. That should be obvious. When you look around at the evil in our world, when you look around that when right is called wrong and wrong is called right, that people are living in open rebellion against God, that God is mocked at every single turn, that it doesn't matter where you look, whether it be from sports to Hollywood to politics to culture, God is constantly being mocked. And so as we looked and see that there seems to be no fear of God in people, we know that this spirit, this antichrist, this spirit of lawlessness is absolutely at work but it is constrained. Even though we may not believe it right now, evil is being constrained by God. In other words, Satan is on a leash. He has always been on a leash. The book of Job teaches us that. He is not allowed to go any place that God does not allow him to go. He is not allowed to do anything that God does not allow him to do. So he is on a leash, though it may be a long leash. But there is coming a time at the midpoint of the tribulation when that leash is going to be taken off and the Antichrist is going to have free reign in the world. And what we're going to see then is not just his appearance, but number two, what to expect regarding the Antichrist power power and influence. Look at verses 9 and 10. This coming of the lawlessness will be in accord with the work of Satan displayed in all kinds of counterfeit miracles, signs and wonders, and every sort of evil that deceives those who are perishing. What we know is that there's coming an antichrist and during this time of tribulation, he will offer deceptive tricks Revelation 13, Revelation 13 and 17 tells us that the Antichrist is going to fake his own death and fake his own resurrection and people are going to buy into it hook, line, and sinker. But we also know that he is going to offer real miracles by satanic power. And it's going to lead people to believe that he is worthy of worship and praise. And for the last three and a half years, of the tribulation, there's going to be a great delusion that takes place worldwide as people bow down and as they worship the Antichrist. Friends, I want you to know something when it comes to talking about miracles. We see this all the way back in Exodus. It is certainly that an all-powerful God performs miracles, but make no mistake about it. After Moses performed the miracles, do you not also remember that there were sorcerers who worked in Egypt who could replicate some of those miracles? Now, were those miracles of God? Obviously not. There is an evil presence that is work, at work and what it will try to do, what it will try to do always is counterfeit what God is wanting to do in your life. So often the way Satan tempts people is to try to tempt them with a poor substitute of what only God can do. Try to tempt them with 
worldly satisfaction and worldly pursuits and worldly longings and how sin may deliver for just a moment what it is that people are looking for until they're so far down the bottomless pit that they've bought into the lie. It's a counterfeit and it's fake and he's always been able to counterfeit certain miracles of God. And that's going to take place in an unbridled way during the last three and a half years of the tribulation. And people are going to believe these lies time and time again. And I worry about so many people because we are under a false delusion even now that we are good at spotting lies. Most people, if you ask them, if you said, do you think you could, you could tell when somebody's lying? Most people will tell you, yes, I could absolutely tell when somebody's lying. Did you know you can't? So now hold on a minute. I'm a master of human personality. I can absolutely tell. I can tell when somebody's eyes go up and to the right. I can tell when they get nervous. I've read the FBI manual on deception. Study after study after study. The very best people at detecting lies can detect them 54% of the time. Now, that's the very best people. That's the people that are writing books on it. 54% of the time is only 4% over chance. We're not good at it. We're just not good at it. You'd think we'd be getting better at it. But can you imagine if somebody empowered by Satan was unleashed on the world to be able to lie? How many people would buy into that? Do you see how many people are buying into the lies of the culture right now? How many people are buying into the apostasy right now? How many people are deniers and haters of God right now? How many people do not accept the name of Jesus? How many people deny the power of the cross? How many people turn their noses up at the gospel? How many people refute the law of God? How many people don't believe in the existence of God? Have you seen the progressivism and the secularism and the liberalism that seems to be taking over our world? I'm telling you, friends, it shouldn't be a hard sell to tell you that people are going to be lied to and they're going to believe it. You're doing it now. It's the power of lawlessness that's at work amongst us. It's going to be intensified when we look towards what's coming. It is going to be an effort to point people to this false or this antichrist. But I want you to know something, even during this time, even during this three and a half years, all will not be lost. Because the Bible tells us that even during this tribulation time, Revelation 7 says that a great multitude which no one could count, in other words, thousands upon thousands upon thousands, a great multitude which no one could count will be saved. But Revelation 19 says that the rest who are not saved during that three and a half year time will receive what is known as the mark of the beast. You've heard that. You've heard about that. And some people have been talk about whether or not people are receiving the mark of the beast now because of computer chips and those type things. Let me just explain something to you. The tribulation has not happened, so nobody has received the mark of the beast. And when they do receive the mark of the beast, it will be obvious. Now, whether or not you choose to implant microchips into your wrist, that's a sermon for a different day. But that is not necessarily the mark of the beast. I don't know exactly what that's going to look like, but I can tell you without a shadow of a doubt 
that there will be people who are going to be marked by the beast and there are going to be people, Revelation, who are going to be saved during this three and a half years of the tribulation. But what we need to know is that even when the restraint is removed, when the Holy Spirit allows the Antichrist to come onto the earth and have leadership and dominion and people follow him all over the world, you need to know that even then God is going to be saving thousands upon thousands of people, that there is going to be a revival among the Jewish people where 144,000 are saved, two prophets, two prophets and a witness are going to rise up and the gospel is going to be preached. And the reason I share that with you is that even in the darkest time in human history, which has not happened yet, the darkest time in human history, there is coming a moment where also a great revival is going to take place even in the midst of the rulership of the Antichrist. The reason I think we need to hear that this morning is shame on the church, shame on you, and shame on me because we've often adopted this defeatist mentality that with all of the liberalism and progressivism and secularism that we see in our world today, that all is lost, that a generation's going to be lost, that the world is lost, that the country is lost, that there is no hope. Shame, because if God can bring about a wide-scale revival during the Great Tribulation when the Antichrist is ruling the known world, world, then God, guys, I want to tell you that in 22 and 23, we ought to be able to expect that the God of all strength and power and wisdom, wisdom that a resurrected king can bring about a revival in these moments as well. And you need to stop being so negative about the power of God. You need to stop believing that God can't or that he won't in these moments, because what we know is that a sovereign God can bring about revival in the midst of the most terrible times that will ever descend upon this earth and that means that he can do it right now number three what do we expect regarding the antichrist destruction i love this verse i love this verse this is this is our god and then the lawless one will be revealed comma whom the Lord Jesus will overthrow with the breath of his mouth. It's almost a side note of how easy it's going to be for Christ. When we talk about the second coming, we're not talking about the rapture. When we talk about the second coming, we're talking about the end of this seven-year tribulation, the end of the last three and a half years, this great tribulation that's going to happen when this lawless one, this antichrist, has had free reign over the earth and when all of a sudden, Revelation chapter 19, you've read it before, when the clouds open and Jesus ascends like a blazing fire and he makes war and the sword that is coming out of his mouth, what will take place is it's not going to be some battle like you see on television. It's not going to be that the armies of Satan are going to line up and the armies of God are going to fight and it's going to be months or year-long battle one right after the other to where we're wondering who's going to win at the end. No, in one moment when the clouds open and Jesus speaks, Satan is gone. And yet some of us have wondered whether or not there is enough power that the Holy Spirit has placed inside our lives to defeat the temptations and defeat the problems and to defeat the difficulties that you're having today and that you're going to have next week. The same power of God that redeems you, the same power of God that is going to defeat Satan with one breath, that is he who is in you. And friends, let me remind you, he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. 
That's the power that you and I, it's why end times make a difference for these times. If my God can show up and with a breath destroy Satan and every enemy of the cross, then friends, that's the God that I ought to have enough confidence to look to for my everyday life. What to expect? Revelation 19, 20. And the beast was seized, and with him the false prophet who performed the signs in his presence by which he deceives those who has, re- who has received the mark of the beast and those who worshipped his image. These two were thrown alive into the lake of fire. The strongest and cruelest ruler in world history will be destroyed effortlessly with the breath of Christ. His empire will end abruptly at the appearance of Christ. And at that moment will begin what is known as the thousand year or the literal millennial reign of Jesus over the earth. What to expect regarding the Antichrist destruction. And then number four, what to expect regarding God's judgment on unbelievers. What to expect regarding God's judgment on unbelievers. Verse 10. They perish because they refuse to love the truth and be saved. I want you to I want you to see that verse. I I don't know that we've paid enough attention to this verse. I I don't know that we've shared this with young people enough. I don't know that we've shared it with children enough. You say, children? Yes, children. I don't know that we've shared this with senior adults enough. I don't know that this has been preached and taught enough. But I want to read it to you again. They perish. They go to hell because they refuse to love the truth and so be saved. Why do people go to hell? Because they hate the truth. And what is the truth? The truth is the message of the gospel and the person of Jesus Christ. People go to hell. People are punished. God judges because people hate His Son, because they hate the gospel, and because they hate the truth. That's why people go to hell. The lost are not lost because they didn't hear or understand the truth. The lost are lost because they did not love the truth. People go to hell because they reject the truth. And people hate the truth not because of some intellectual stance. Over the years, that's one of the things that I've become increasingly convinced of. We hear about all of the liberalism that takes place in universities across the country. And we say that when we send kids to college that they're going to embrace this because their minds can be warped by the intellectual ideas that are given to them by professors. I want to submit to you that the reason that colleges have become liberal bastions, that they have become places where the truth is denied and Jesus is hated, it is not mainly because of an intellectual issue. It is because of a heart problem. And when people want to live for themselves, they will find philosophies to back up their sinful, immoral hatred of a God who demands that you be accountable. That's why. Forget this, that you're going to go to college and somebody's going to convince you that there is no God. That's foolishness. Any fool can see that there's a God. Proverbs says that. Only the fool in his heart believes that there is no God. Walk outside. There's obviously a designer. You don't even have to 
teach people that. They can go out and they look and they say, either this is an accident or somebody created it. Only a fool would believe that it's an accident. So you know there's a God. The issue is, do I want to be accountable to that God? And a lot of people don't want to be accountable because they don't want to live morally. They want to live for themselves. They want to be their own God. They want to have illicit sex and they want to do whatever it is that they can do. And so because of that, if I deny the existence of God, I believe I don't have to be accountable to him. That's why people deny God. They want to write the laws of their own choosing so that it pleases their own wicked hearts. Please quit believing that people are denying God because of intellectual issues. People are denying God because they have dark, wicked, evil hearts. That's why God is denied. It's always been why God is denied. John three nineteen, The light has come into the world and men love darkness rather than the light because their deeds were evil. Why did they deny Jesus? Because of their deeds. Because they loved their wickedness. It's a willful choice to love sin, believe lies, and to hate the gospel. This powerful delusion is that God will harden the hearts of those who persist in hardening towards him. There's a lot of people that have a problem with verse 11. God sends them a powerful delusion so they will believe the lie. God sends a powerful delusion so they will believe the lie. Paul said the same thing in Romans 1. When it tells us in Romans 1.28 that God gave them over or God abandoned them, what is being said there is that if you deny God for long enough and enthrone yourself over your life, that eventually God will allow you to have what you have wished for and you will be your own God. And when you are your own God, then you can only rely on yourself to be your own Savior. And I want to tell you, if you're relying on yourself to be your own Savior, you're headed straight to hell. Because you can't do it. God will give people over to that delusion where eventually their heart is so hardened. It's what happened to Pharaoh in Exodus. Some people have, have looked at that passage and at one moment it says Pharaoh hardened his heart and another part it says that God hardened his heart. So people have often wondered, well, which is it? It's both. If you harden your heart to God long enough, he will harden your heart to him. It's one of the reasons that sometimes when it comes to these passages of Scripture, it almost sounds like I'm begging you. And the reason is, is because I don't know and neither do you whether or not this is the last time your heart will ever be soft or not. You might walk out of here and you felt the conviction of God and the burden of God and the call of God and walk out of here and you never feel it again. Why? Because God may give you over. He may abandon you. You say, oh God, I don't want that to happen. I don't want it to happen either. But why would you flirt with disaster when he's calling you now and you hear the voice of the Holy Spirit now so you respond to him now and not wonder if there's going to be that time? It says that they will believe, do you see this? That they will believe the lie, verse 11. What is the lie? I highlighted that. It says the lie. It doesn't say that they will believe a lie. It says they will believe the lie. Well, I, need, I want to know what the lie is. Don't you want to know what the lie is? What is the Antichrist lie? A little bit of study of Scripture will show you obviously what the lie is. 
Because the lie is the same lie he told Eve to commit the very first sin. And it is the same lie that is behind every temptation, and that is this. You shall be as God, that you can do whatever you please, and that you can be better by your own effort. When the world believes that, they have believed the secret power of lawlessness and bought into the lie of the Antichrist, that you shall be as God, that you shall be able to do whatever it is that you please, and that you can be better by your own effort. I want you to write down a Bible verse. Galatians chapter 6, verse 7. Do not be deceived. God will not be mocked. A man reaps what he sows. I mentioned to you just a little while ago that there's a great deception that's taking place in people's lives that God is being mocked every way we turn. It may seem like that God and his patience is just ignoring it. He cannot ignore sin. If he ignored sin, he wouldn't be holy. If he ignored sin, he wouldn't be righteous. If he ignored sin, he wouldn't be just. But he is holy. He is righteous. And he is just. And do not be deceived. God will not be mocked. A man reaps what he sows. Friends, there's coming an appointed time Hebrews says there's a time to die and then the judgment. And either it is that you have believed the lie, the lie, or the truth has set you free. I've got to tell you, one of the best things about getting to study the Bible, and I love it, I, I love that I get to study the Bible. And I tell you one of the things that I'm, one of the reasons it just fires me up I'm not scared. I'm not scared. I have no fear. No fear. You could stick the sticker on the back of my truck when it comes to what's going to happen at the end. And one of the reasons is that all the judgment that should be on my life, all the pain, all the hell, already took place. And it was placed on Jesus on Calvary. He bore my sin. He bore my shame and he took it to the grave. He defeated my sin and he defeated my death. And I've come before a holy God and I've repented of those sins and I've asked him to take control of my life. So I look forward to the great judge who is our soon and coming king. And I look forward to him coming with every bit of optimism and every bit of hope because he's completely in control. And I can promise you this, He's already won. Would you stand with me? Thanks for listening to FBC Summit. We are leading everyday people to love Jesus and make Him known. For more information, visit our website, fbcsummit.org.